Worry is simply rehearsing anxiety. So just like Michael Phelps training for the Olympics, we're actually rehearsing something. So you can win a gold medal in the Olympics for worrying if you practice what if and catastrophizing all day. It takes commitment and grit to shift out of that. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you're going to hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening in the world that almost no one knows about. And on this podcast, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, we're going to talk to people in that wave of goodness and progress who are doing the most amazing things or who have the most amazing insights for us that we can use every day to improve our own lives, find inspiration, discover what you're, we're uniquely built to contribute. I mean, it's the thing right now. We are all enjoying an opportunity to pause and really think about what are our priorities and um, what we want to learn next and maybe even decide how and why our time matters. So the people I'm talking to on this podcast, oh my gosh, they are the kind of people that still think the future is bright, even though they're tackling some of the world's most vexing problems. And we need to know what they know. That tells me we need to see how they look at obstacles and do the end run around them. And we can do that too in our own lives. Today, we're going to hear from an extraordinary uh, woman. Dr. Kimberly Quinn is a professor of cognitive psychology. I know that sounds like a big, a big word, but she is essentially doing positive psychology with an amazing twist. She has a course at Champlain College, a very prestigious institution in Vermont, that is called Mindcraft. And she has a podcast by the same name. On and on it goes. I'm going to let Kim tell us all the nuances of what she's doing in the world. But what I know is that you are going to hear all about being the boss of your brain today. And this is what's made her course at Champlain College one of the most sought after courses there. Kim has an amazing way of teaching us all about what's going on between our ears and putting it in a positive light, like helping us not feel debilitated by our wiring, our experiences, our limiting beliefs, but helping us feel empowered, helping us know what to do next. So Dr. Quinn, thank you so much for joining us on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Well, absolutely. And then thank you for having me, Linda. I'm really excited for this. You know, I hit you and I hit it off right away and I'm excited to have this conversation. Well, you know, tell me about Minecraft and being the boss of our brains. I would love to tell you about Minecraft and being the boss of your brain, because I tell you, this sort of came up, Linda, in response, you know, to everything you're aware of with all the anxiety out there and depression. And of course, I work with young adults, which I love. And as I'm sure you know, this current generation, even before the coronavirus hit, was the most anxious and depressed generation of young adults the United States has ever seen. Minecraft is a course that I designed in response to, well, our wonderful Dean who asked me to, but in in response to this tremendous need, you know, I I work with young adults with, you know, as they're, they're the most anxious and depressed generation of young adults that the United States has ever seen. So it's kind of a response to that. Then the Rona hit the pandemic, right? And so a lot of people are saying it's almost like it's a trauma. No, it is a trauma. It's because the very definition, the very definition of trauma, right, is 
you know, it's when an event or series of events overrides the mind's ability to cope, which causes brain changes and stuff. So we, you know, I came up with this course to kind of address some of these issues that are overwhelming our young adults today. And what it is, if you look at it in the catalog, it's Minecraft colon, the psychology of optimal human functioning and life satisfaction. Okay. That says it all. Something that we all want. This is the thing. I'm thinking that young people are at the optimal time in their lives to get these kind of insights and mid-career people, second climbers. I mean, what I know of your work, and I've been getting this wonderful newsletter that Dr. Quinn sends out, the Mindful... The Mindful Times. The Mindful Times. I wanted to get that third word right. The Mindful Times newsletter. I've been getting that newsletter and finding there's something in every single episode that I felt like I needed to hear right then, that day, that hour. Well, that makes me feel fantastic, Linda, too, because that is the idea. And it's, you know, things have kind of have these little offshoots to come out of Minecraft. As you mentioned, there's the YouTube channel and the, the podcast and the, the Mindful Times. And, you know, circling back to what the, the foundation is, which I think was part of your original sort of question slash comment, is that the foundation for Minecraft is learning how to become the boss of your brain because thoughts come first and feelings come second and then actions or behavior are third. And I think truthfully, sometimes even the most educated professional adults, even though they would know this if asked, they're not walking around thinking this, right? So people don't often realize that if we allow angry or fearful thoughts into our minds and the world is, the word is allow because we are, you know, the choice, the choice is ours. When we allow angry, you know, fearful thoughts in our mind, we then feel angry and fearful. And we can take that and run with it into, you know, our own personal issues, systemic racism. It just goes on and on and on. Right. And so thoughts, feelings, behavior. So obviously then if thoughts are sort of the, you know, in control there, it doesn't go anywhere good. So I actually, I usually will ask my students because if we break it down to a, a very simplistic sort of concept, there are only two choices. Either we control our thoughts or our thoughts control us. And then I'll say, now I ask you, which is more pleasant? And of course, they unanimously say controlling our thoughts. And, and then they kind of look at me and I said, I think that look says, oh, that's that's you make it sound so easy. So then I kind of hold up my hands and I'll say, OK, is it that simple? Yes, it is that simple. We know if we control our thinking and shift out of the negativity into the positivity, we'll, we'll feel more positive. Is it that easy? I didn't say that. But what I will say is that whatever we commit to and practice, we inevitably get good at, whether that's playing the violin, learning Swahili or robbing banks. If we practice it enough, we'll get good at it. And it's also lower maintenance. And then by about it takes on the average, it takes about 21 days for a habit to, to stick and shift. Because habits aren't broken. People think that, but they're not. Habits just shift. And it's so after about 21 days of working at the different strategies we do in Minecraft, they see changes. Okay, this is it. I've got 21 days. (laughs) Okay, so just from the 100,000 foot look, which is what is what where I see tend to see the the whole world, the 100,000 foot look to me, when I look at this big, the big scope of your work is that it seems like happiness is something we need to decide upon ahead of time. There's this old, I'll be happy when is just never going to make us a whole person or never going to lead to anything good. Talk to us all about that. I'll be happy when 
Um, oh my gosh, I would love to talk with you, but I'll be happy when. And I'll tell you, I'll just do a shout out to Sean Aker. I actually use his book, The Happiness Advantage in Minecraft. It's actually foundational, really. But he talks about how, at least in the States, I know we're talking to the world here, at least in the States, we have been conditioned to believe that once we become successful, then we will become happy. And when the reverse is actually true, it's only when we become happy that we can truly become successful. And when also when we continue to have it, have it backwards, right? Success first and happiness. I think what people don't realize, Linda, which is what you're saying, I'll be happy when, you know, like I get the B, now I need to get the A, now I get the, get the straight A's, now I got to get that promotion, now I got to have a nicer house than this house and a better neighborhood. And we are actually pushing the envelope of happiness right over the horizon, like gone, like like pretend like the earth was flat, like, like it was once thought. There goes the happiness right off the edge. Over and over and over, right? Like, over and over and over again. Yeah, so it's it's almost like never attainable. No, it's never attainable because it's like we're chasing that chocolate chip cookie and, and it's not versus when we remain more process based rather than outcome based because people often are focused on these goals and happiness being one of them. Right. If you're focused on the goal, you're folk, that's futuristic, which means you're not in the moment. You're not going to achieve happiness. You know, it's kind of like make a Harry Potter reference because I love Harry Potter. If anyone has seen the first one with the mirror of Erised, and I'll just describe it if, if, if you haven't, but it shows, you know, there, there's a scene there where Harry's looking in the mirror and he starts to see his parents behind him. Then he calls over Ron and he sees that he's, you know, all these things he would like to be in the future, head boy and Quidditch captain and all that. And just like the air of the mirror of Erised, only when we can look in that mirror and see just us as we are in this moment, in this moment, being grateful for breathing and being alive and walking and talking and moving, can we truly be happy? So it's really about something I, I personally love to remind people that's connected to what's going on with the, with the internet in our lives and the news and social media being so negative is that one of my favorite things to remind people about is that what we give our attention to expands. Oh, no question. So talk to me about how that goes on in your work. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll tell you, cause I, I did it this morning and I, I even tell my students, I'm not, you know, we're not talking about strategies and things and suggestions and tips or whatever for them that I don't do myself. Right. And I set an intention every single day in my Jeep, because that's where I'm alone once I leave the house. And I say it out loud in the Jeep, because that is how my whole day is dictated by my intention. And I'll share with you that my very dear friend, Oprah Winfrey, she just isn't aware of it, but we're very tight. She does a, she does a lot with, with the intention thing. And she even talked about once that way later on, like sort of recently, that she decided to, when she interviews people, that she before they ever step foot on the show, she wants to know what their intention is. Because that's, that dictates where the show is going. And she wants only, you know, the good the, the goodness to be there. So with me... I'm very careful with my word choices and I say it out loud. And I had actually kind of a challenging issue just two days ago. And in the Jeep, I said, here's the thing. I intend to be mindful, grateful and have inner peace today. And I just say it a few times that day was a little challenging and I'm going to be mindful, grateful and, and enjoy inner peace today. And sure enough, it went well. So these are the things we decide upon ahead of time. We don't wait for life circumstances to conspire to give us exactly what we want as an outcome. 
No, we don't. And actually, I'm just having some, because I'm being very candid here. Sean Aker, actually, I feel like I, I really want to have lunch with this guy, too. He talks a lot about that. I, I can't rattle off the exact statistics, but it'll be very close, okay? It's the majority. It's upwards of two-thirds to three-quarters, somewhere in there, of happiness being dictated by external circumstances. So if somebody grew up bounced around in foster homes, we're not saying this is easy, don't misunderstand, but are they had a horrible surgery or they're diabetic or they lost their business. You know, we know for a fact that that genetics, even genetics play a role, but that it's, it's, it's here is where the high majority of happiness resides, regardless of your genetics or your circumstances, because happiness is a choice, period. That's it. Uh, well, let me make sure, because I think that was kind of one of those, those real impact <laughs> right between the eyes statements. The people who've done research and they figured out that some giant percent of our happiness is related to what? Is not. Okay, so I think I flipped it. The high majority of our happiness, authentic happiness, is not related to external circumstances. So like somewhere between, I want to say 80%, but don't quote me, please. It's between like two thirds and three quarters or close to three quarters, let's say that. So in other words, the other remaining little bit is genetics and external circumstances like car accident, genes, diabetes, even mental health issues. You know, and I'll tell you something too, Linda, because I'm thinking of, because I often get met with when I say that happiness is a choice, which is a big statement. Sometimes I'll see the faces, well, like you don't understand me. I have diagnosed this and diagnosed that and diagnosed everything. I'll share with you a quick story, which is impactful on me. And the fact that I remember it like 30 years later, um, it was at a graduation my brother-in-law, youngest brother-in-law is blind and he went to a school and I think it was New York Institute of Technology. And they, the man, the professor who did the graduation talk still stays with me. And I've used it in Minecraft the last eight years I've been teaching it. Name just changed. And he talked about this because this was a two-year program that was part college, part learning about like life skills and things like that. And he got up there and he was older then 30 years ago. So think about it. No IEPs, no all the differences, no support. And he talked about how he got to where he was with two different huge learning differences. It was dyslexia and one other one and anxiety, all kinds of stuff and not the support like you'd have today. And he says, here's what I want you to envision. This is the part that's cool, okay? Most people, if they, if they have not run track or had a sibling who ran track, most people know what a track meet looks like. Lots of like invitational, lots of uniforms, different colors, and you all line up the same, right? Whether you're the stellars that are out front or you're in it for social reasons, or you're in it to stay in shape, you're the pack in the middle, everybody lines up the same. And he said, and then there was me with dyslexia, anxiety, depression, and all these other things. He said, so I had like a 25 pound weight belt underneath my uniform that other people couldn't see. I got chills. I'm getting chills now, Linda, because, and this was a speech from 30 years ago. And so he, this man got to where he was. And he did like this with his finger, like a pinball machine. I had to go here, met with bullying here, no support here, here, here. Nobody can see my differences necessarily. And so I say to my students, fill in the blank with ADHD, the autism spectrum, and depression, anxiety. Da, da, da. Here's the deal. Everybody's still running the same race. You just have to make different choices and work harder. And that's, it might suck, but that's how it is. Happiness is still a choice, period. This is probably one of the most foundational and sort of elegantly simple <laughs> notions of our time right now, because we're met with so many people who seem to want to elevate and escalate the drama in our world. Oh my God, yeah. And 
And then there are there are functionally business models created in the 24-hour news cycle and social media to capture and hold our attention with ever more grim things. I mean, that's just using neuroscience against humanity. Tell us your take on the amygdala, because I really think it's it's fundamental that we all understand the game being played with our emotions, that we have this part of our brain that's looking for signs of danger and disorder. And the news and social media is happy to provide that that content. So talk to us about this part of our brain that's on um, 24-7 that could lead if we don't. Oh, my God, Linda. And I would tell you that actually a little the brain right over here on my desk. The amygdala is my favorite part of the brain because it's just <laughs> spicy. So even if, uh, I don't know how that would show up on the screen, but even with my fist, okay, the midbrain, is would be in the mall in the middle, right? So here's a, a nice, so here's a party trick for everybody who's listening. If you want to explain to somebody where the amygdala are, because there are two, okay? They're shaped like little almonds at the end of those little horns there. If you picture an invisible sort of ray going through both ears, like through one and outside the other, and then two invisible rays going through one through each eye, right? Where they intersect is where the amygdala are. And the amygdala are responsible for its emotional headquarters. And the amygdala are actually meant to keep us alive. And so it gets a bit of a bad rap. We can just say it in the singular. And the the plural has a little E on the end. And so the amygdala is primal. And it's meant to keep us alive, Linda, right? I know you know this. So if we're walking down a dark alley at night where we shouldn't be, and our cell phone's off, and we walk by a a dumpster, let's say, and and we hear noises, automatically it's like ding, ding, ding. And we, our senses become hypervigilant because the threat circuit, it's like switching on a light switch, right? So the threat circuit is switched on for survival purposes. We want that. We can hear better, see better, everything better. And then we're like, oh my God, I'm going to be mugged. Oh my God, I'm going to be stabbed. Oh my God, I'm going to be sexually assaulted. And then out comes an overweight skunk waddling off in the distance. All right. So then the amygdala then then calms down because the parasympathetic nervous system, you know, takes over and we calm down. Well, what happens is in today's world with pandemics and, you know, systemic racism and all this stuff going on in the world that's plastered all over the news and social media is our amygdala is staying at DEFCON 4, you know, most of the time. And also, what we also do, because we're so conditioned and the brain likes patterns, we kind of latches onto this. Even if we're sitting on our couch at home with our partner or in a dorm room and we're safe, totally safe. And then we start to replay what we just saw with whatever's happening in Ghana or whatever's happening wherever and who just got, you know, stabbed. And we and then we can be sitting in our, you know, in a totally safe situation, reliving it, replaying it. And then the mind doesn't know the difference. And so we stay in this state of DEFCON 4 alert, which is exhausting and leads to anxiety, depression, and an overall fatigue at the personal level and the level of society as a whole. But we can control that, right? Yes, we can absolutely control that. All right. So start leading us into that territory. Oh, I would love to. Okay. So if we if we stay with, we'll be, we'll be simple here. Let's stay with anxiety for a moment. And as you know, Linda, we are genetically or let's say physiologically, genetically is not the word I want. Physiologically as human beings, we are predisposed to think negatively actually, because for primal reasons, we talked about saber tooth tiger thing and all that looking for threats and things. And so it's a, it's a little bit heavier lift 
to get that started. And so when the amygdala, okay, the, the anxiety loop rides within, is within the limbic system. So amygdala is only one part of the limbic system, um, but that's, that's what we're just going to stay with for simplicity reasons. So anxiety is self-reinforcing, which means we don't have to work about it. We don't have to work at it to get it to be stronger. And the brain, the brain likes to please us. It sounds like a duality, but each and every time it finds what it thinks we're looking for, it's reinforced. So if you're a what if thinker, like, oh, what if I don't get the job? What if I'm fired? What if I don't get the A? What if a meteor lands on my house? What if? And then we we allow that, we allow that what if thinking. It's like giving a dog a biscuit and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger each time. I have a better example for you because it's a little bit more tangible with obsessive compulsive thinking. I don't do the word disorder because it's shaming and has us feeling defective and flawed and no one needs that. So obsessive compulsive thinking, which is anxiety, is a spectrum like most things in life, right? We don't have here and here, we have the middle. So we have people actually diagnosed. We have people who might like things a little neat and organized and the whole middle, right? And people are walking around in the middle, mostly, maybe not diagnosed. And, you know, they're exhausted from holding up the whole charade because they're just, you know, reliving all the stuff going on in the world and whatever, however they manifest it. So let's, so let's say somebody is headed to work, right? They're headed to work. And they get two thirds of the way to work. And all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, I left the stove on. Oh, my God, I whatever. Oh, my God, I didn't lock the doors. So they get inches from work. And then they're like, they're swapping out one stress for another. So inevitably, they go back to the house. Now they're late and missed out on the important meeting or school. The very second they touch the doorknob, there's an enormous feeling of relief. The minute, because we know it's locked, it's irrational. It's an automatic behavior. Also, it's daylight. You have neighbors. Somebody's got to want to rob you, blah, 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 blah. So this is where we're going with the other stuff you're talking about. The minute we touch the doorknob, it's such a relief that that's not just like giving a dog a biscuit. It's like giving the dog a prime rib. And so it's that much stronger the next time that we want to catastrophize about the world. The next time you want to what if think the next time it's that much stronger and taking over us because it's self-reinforcing. This what if thinking is a trap. I know people, I love people in my life who always leap to the worst possible case scenario instead of really like, I'm not a Pollyanna by any stretch of the imagination, even though it would seem that what I do would lead me in that direction. But I really make sure I'm grounded in stuff that's happening in the world. And I just very consciously choose what to give my attention to on a momentary basis. But talk to me about this, this, this what if, because it's so easy to be in a moment that we should be enjoying and almost lose, lose ourselves in these what if thoughts that, and then miss it. What if something goes wrong? Well, Linda, he's preaching the choir with all this stuff too, because I, the other, one of the foundational things I say with Minecraft is spend your life minutes as if they are cash. And I actually, you know what, right there, hold on a second. I actually, I actually give these to my students to put up on their wall, this spend your life minutes as if they are cash. And because when we waste life minutes worrying, which is what we're doing, they're wasted. They're going down the rabbit rabbit hole, never to return again. This is a reminder. So what people don't often realize is worry is simply rehearsing anxiety. So just like Michael Phelps training for the Olympics or Ellie Purrier was our own hometown Olympian with running. We're actually rehearsing 
something. So you can win a gold medal in the Olympics for worrying if you practice what if and catastrophizing all day. And then I often get the looks of you don't understand. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It takes commitment and grit to to shift out of that. And if you'd like, I can actually give your listeners a couple of strategies like party tricks to take home. Let's do. Let's do it. Okay. So the brain is like a toddler. It's like a wayward two and a half year old toddler. So if you picture that toddler on a busy Saturday afternoon in the grocery store, you've got a pile of groceries, people in front of you, people behind you. And she says, I want M&Ms. And you're trying to be the good parent, not or, or babysitter or auntie or whatever. And of course, the quickest way to have her stop forever is to ignore her. You know, it's embarrassing. People are giving you judgment and why can't she control? You have to just completely ignore, which is what we call starve the monster, right? Because if we cave in, we just taught her to do it again. If we wait and then give in like two more no's later, we taught her that she has to amp it up even higher to get what she wants, right? So the brain is not different than that way we're toddler needs commitment like a good parent commitment grit repetition this is where your behavior is going this is where your thoughts are going so the first one which i actually came up with myself and it works like a charm is but you got to stay with it that's the thing is when we start to have these moments which are usually in the car or the shower let's say it's linda let's say it's linda going home from work and and your brain is saying linda linda this is our time together this is when we self-deprecate and talk about all the ways we're not enough this is when we what if think about everything going on in the world and what could possibly have be happening. And yet there was another school shooting. And this is when we think about all that stuff. This is when we catastrophize Linda, this is our time. And then you say, you know what? I'm, I'm done with that. So you're the parent brains, the toddler. No. And yet what you say in your head or out loud, better yet, not today, maybe tomorrow. And the brain says, Whoa, Linda, Hey, wait, Whoa. This is what we do at five o'clock when we go home. This is our time to self-deprecate or what if think or whatever your thing is. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker, though. That's very important to know is just like the toddler in the price shopper or wherever amping up her tantrum. The minute you tell the brain, no, expect all your intrusive thinking to get way worse in the short term. And just like the parent, you've got to say not today. Or sorry, not today, maybe tomorrow. And over, and it, it's going to take, well, depending on how strong it's, how long it's been going on, it's going to take, you know, maybe some days, it's going to get nasty. Not today, maybe tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow part is because eventually, like that toddler, the brain's going to get who's in charge and say, okay, fine, Linda. But tomorrow at five o'clock, listen, we're on. We're going to self deprecate from five to 520 and we pull in the driveway and we're on. And then realize it takes about 21 days for a habit to shift. And I can tell you, if you and also strive for progress, not perfection. Perfection is a very bad word. If you fall off a little bit, just get back at it. After about 21 days, something called the Tetris effect, which maybe we can go there next. I don't know. But a habit will, will begin to shift. And just like playing the violin or whatever else, it also gets easier to maintain it. You don't have to be in that you know, like you're in the front lines after a while. And then your obsessive compulsive thinking will dramatically go down. I'll just do a disclaimer though, quickly. If somebody's more here where they're, they may need professional treatment and medication and stuff, but once they're able to be in a place where they can kind of do the strategy, it will work. So it'll work for the high majority of people. If you stay with it. I love that tip. It is very um, close to something that I always say to people when they're super down, you know, in my professional life, I'm as a dentist, you know, we got so that my husband and I, we had patients that would come on the day their spouse dies. 
to the dental appointment because people knew that they were going to get lots more than a filling from Dr. Chuck and I. We just, we found something to celebrate in every person's life. And we always had this notion that we could, we could do what you're talking about. We could bring people to a different place. And one of the things that I I love to say to people, it goes right along with that. I'd love your comment on it. Uh, and I do it to myself. No feeling lasts forever. I, that has gotten me out of some tight jams, man. And so I say to myself, I'm really, really down. No feeling lasts forever. No feeling lasts forever. Get busy. That's the second part. For me, I say no feeling lasts forever. And then I go get busy. And I can keep that wolf at the door. And then it'll creep back in. And then I say, no feeling lasts forever. I go get busy. And eventually, I find many other things to give my attention to that are so much more productive and reasonable. Well, and that's spot on in the big, because of course, as, as you know, only in a co- as my cognitive psychology had only what we attenuate to pay attention to attenuate. It's kind of like a sexy 14 karat word for pay attention, right? Only what we attenuate to also makes it into long-term memory. So we, what we pay attention, it's all about attention and intention, right? What we pay attention to is going to dictate our feelings. So you shifted out of that by saying no feeling lasts forever. We've got to control that. And another way, another big, big, huge one with Minecraft in addition to the mindfulness thing is gratitude. And people, this is a way to shift into the, the positive you know, mindset is because when we, we have to write it down, we'll get to that in a second. I am grateful for, it's like that, it's, it's training that toddler because the neurons need to know what to do like a toddler. And again, it's going to be a heavier lift if somebody's allowed, allowed is the word, the negative thoughts to go for a while. It's going to like moving a snowball uphill for a bit. Then it will work. And so in Minecraft, they keep gratitude journals every day. And I simplified it from Marty Seligman's original. It's a little bit longer. I love him. But so they, they write, I am grateful for. And those, those words are extremely important, utmost of utmost importance, because the neurons have to know what to do. So saying my family, my golden retriever, my hot tea is good, but we got to say, I am grateful for, because the mind is also lazy. Even if your character is not lazy, the mind is lazy and it's going to go down the path of least resistance. And if that's negativity, it's used to that. So I am grateful for, and write it down three things each day. And by 21 days, I ask my students, we actually do a check-in because something called called the, the Tetris effect also has taken place. That's another Sean Aker one. So that came out of, if people know the video game Tetris, it's, it's like shapes and you're putting them in patterns. Well, the brain loves patterns. So it was found if even with even 15 minutes of playing this game, people started to naturally, like if they walked into Price Chopper, they'd start to organize cereal boxes in their heads and things like that. Well, this can work negatively or positively, and an example of negatively, and no offense to any accountants out there because we all need you at tax time, um, but it was found with accountants that since they their whole day was spent searching for errors, right? That's their job. Even though it's helping you, it's they're searching for errors. And it was found with accountants that when they went home to their partners and kids or friends or whoever, they started to look for errors in their relationships and with the house and the roof. And because the brain likes patterns, so it got stuck in that. So with the gratitude thing, student, my students typically about two thirds of them have already felt it by then. And that'll depend where they're coming from previously, right? They, they're like, wow, professor, I'm starting to go through my day seeing more, more positive things. And it's unconscious for a while. And because the Tetris effect has taken hold of the brain, 
with I am grateful for, I am grateful for. And when we have a grateful mind, we then feel, like you were saying before, feel grateful. There is then very little, if any, room for anxiety or depression or catastrophizing or whatever, because the mind is actually, actually, we can see gratitude on an fMRI, right? The brain actually neurologically changes when it's positive. We can actually see it. All right. So, okay. So what I see us doing here in this, in this interview at the 100,000 foot level is taking some notions that we've all heard a lot about. Gratitude is one of them. Constant, constant din of, you know, have gratitude for this reason or that reason. But um, I think you're advancing my, improving my way of thinking about this because you're giving me the nuts and bolts of how it actually works in the brain between my ears. And that makes it more important. to me than just some sort of airy-fairy sort of la-la-la rose-colored glasses way of looking at the world. There's actual science to this. Oh, definitely. You know, there's definite science to it because we can, again, we can see it on an fMRI. We can see where the activity of the brain is. That's not even, even hard anymore. So is it just touchy-feely or I forget what you said earlier, like puppies and rainbows? Puppies and mailboxes, yeah. Mailboxes or something. No. And it is, we are actually in, when we become the boss of our brain, we change our life and, you know, we change our life. So if it it takes, it takes making a conscious conscious choice. And sometimes there's something just add in there that um, can also be really helpful, which is called fake it till you make it. Right. And that's, if we're wanting to be more positive and we're not, you know, stick with the gratitude journal every day and smiling, smiling. And we just smile, even if we're not feeling it, sometimes they call it the perma smile, right? There's something called the mirror neurons, which are how we learn through mimicry. Kind of like when we're two or three and we're watching dad fill the dishwasher and we kind of watching and paying attention and, you know, mimicking, that's how we learn. Okay. So smiling is something that comes out of the mirror neurons, which were discovered by an Italian researcher whose name I forget, but basically they have a job of, because neurons all have different jobs, right? They have the job of helping us learn through mimicry. So the easiest explanation or visualization for mirror neurons is, is if you've ever done your own little experiment walking down the street, I do it all the time. It's fun. Just smile and you watch people either smile back at you, which is most people, or they'll look away because they think you're weird or they just kind of, oh, who's what she did? And they look straight ahead. But when we, when we smile, notice other people smile back at you. And it doesn't, it has nothing to do with color of skin or how much you make or the religion you practice. Smiling is just independent of any of that because it's neurological. And so we can actually trick our brain into, be, into being happy momentarily with smiling. And that was, I think we're talking about fake it till you make it too. So yeah, that kind of rolls into, go ahead. No, talk to, I want to make sure one point that had come up at some point when you and I were talking is this little reset that we can do by taking a deep breath. Talk to us about that, because I think that is number one, something I would start doing tomorrow. Oh, the the breathing thing. So we start off day one with, I do an Okinawan breathing technique with them, but really just breathing. You can be on your way into work, walking up the street. You can be on a boring date and they don't know either. And you just take a huge, big I mean, big, deep breath. And they're, they're all different, like different things on the internet that have short little YouTubes on one, two, three, four, hold one, two, three, four. But really, if you're just one big in, hold for a second and then exhale, there's an automatic neurological reset that brings your mind out of next Tuesday or Christmas, or I can't say Hanukkah because that went by already, or out of Hanukkah actually, because the past, 
or a, a trauma from five years ago. When we breathe, there's an immediate reset. And sometimes a little trick I do on the way into work when the monkey mind is going, which doesn't necessarily have to mean anxiety. That's usually the reference. But sometimes I'm so excited, Linda, because like, I love teaching. I'm like, can't wait to do what I'm doing. That I'm just rapid fire thoughts going on. They're actually positive, but busy. So either way, and I'll say, okay, from here to that stop sign, I am right here in this moment and I'm just breathing. Just And it's an immediate, immediate release and, and break from anxiety or just excitement or, or whatever. So this is a, a practical thing we can start doing tomorrow that has its basis in science. We can literally just take a really deep breath and move on. Oh, totally. Constant mental chatter that very often is so negative. We're going to take a break here and then come back and talk uh, talk about some more practical tips like that. There is um, a wonderful thing I'd like to chat with people about in the break that we're doing to, to give people more, if food for thought is a thing, to give people the kind of food for thought that's really nourishing. So we'll be right back. And when we come back, we'll hear more practical tips from Dr. Quinn. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles and the podcast you're listening to now, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I have a question and an answer for you. Have you been hoping the world is actually a lot better than what you see on the news and social media? Well, it is. In fact, it's radically better. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But on December 1st, 2021, all that changes with the launch of the Goodness Exchange, a digital landscape where you will see that the world is full of goodness and progress, and we will introduce you to the people making it that way. Bottom line, someone is solving every vexing problem in the world large and small. And the Goodness Exchange is where people are coming together to amplify a future that includes all that. No one with good intention and good ideas need feel alone again. Here's what you'll find at the Goodness Exchange. There will be articles about the most amazing things going on in the world that are going uncelebrated. There'll be interviews and events that will send your mind and heart soaring again and a social media platform dedicated to a culture of kindness, insight, and celebration, a way of um, amplifying a brighter future for us all. And that social media platform is a place where organizations doing good in the world will not have to hold their nose anymore. It can be a trustworthy, respectable place for organizations to host their groups and gatherings and connect with each other a network of positive networks, if you will. The Goodness Exchange will be a place to find mini courses and masterclasses for personal and professional development. And eventually there'll be a jobs board and we have a children's website already all teed up. The thread running through it all is that goodness um, and progress is everywhere. And we will help people cultivate what they are uniquely built to contribute to this future for us all. Now, imagine a website with no ads, no games, and no agenda. Just a simple and powerful vision of combining our collective strengths to create a future we can all celebrate. The Goodness Exchange will open a new era for us all as individuals, because you're going to find stuff that make your life better instantaneously. 
and as a collective, because we all want a better future for our children. Who knows what's possible if there was a place on the internet that brought out our best impulses and our collective genius. Join us after December 1st at the Goodness Exchange and start living with less fear, more joy as an individual and as a collective future for humanity. Thanks. Now we're back to the interview. Okay, we're back. So Kim, we've got 10 minutes or so or more if we want. (laughs) Give us some more of your insights that we can start shifting our perspective with every day. You know, the simple, the smiling, the mirror. Um, You know, I, there were some topics in your news newsletters recently that I I really would love for you to comment on because I think they are so fundamental to us being able to live in the present with a lot more joy and a lot less fear. The first one I want you to comment on is doing things just because Mm -hmm. for their own sake. I mean, we are in this world of constant productivity and, and I think we're feeding our soul a little less than we should. Oh my God. It's there are a lot of people feeling spiritually bankrupt too and emotionally bankrupt and everything and yeah we can shift out of expectations that's a good one too but one i was thinking of i did a whole thing on might have been before you jumped on the mindful times uh is each day is a fresh start so it's not even if it's not deep like even if there was a conversation at work in yesterday's meeting don't care anymore you know it's not attached and when we, I actually do that in my Jeep. I do a lot of things in my Jeep, <laughs> but I, I do a thing with the intention and that rolls into this is a fresh start. It's not attached to yesterday, last week, last month, 10 years ago. This is a whole new day. So that's one thing. And then the just fill yourself up thing and keeping yourself full and rejuvenated because we're not of use to ourselves or anybody else without it. If you want to do that. Yeah. Maybe that's a, that's a gift of the pandemic. Is the ability to pause and think of these things that we've been racing right along and forgetting. Now we've got some opportunity and doing things, uh, prioritizing other things than just checking all the boxes by the end of the day and falling in bed exhausted. Oh God, because who cares? You know, I mean, I really believe all this stuff. This is, I didn't plan a thing. I mean, this is, I'm right with you with all of it. All right. So if we're there, I want you to comment on a really beautiful quote that I read in in the Mindful Times, Robert Frost. He said, before I built a wall, I asked to know what I was walling in or walling out. Talk to us about the brain and walling in and walling out. Oh, that's an easy one. So basically we're talking about, I love Robert Frost too, right? From Vermont, right? Boundaries. I can't talk enough about boundaries because boundaries are at the top of the list for practicing self-care. And many of us for childhood reasons or you know reasons that people didn't experience enough love and warmth and, and validation and all that growing up often have difficulties establishing boundaries. And I'll tell you that Brene Brown actually does a lot with this stuff. And she's done research that says the most compassionate people, most compassionate people tend to be really good boundary setters. And think about it because this is, this part is deep. The reason we often have trouble practicing self-care by establishing boundaries is because it's a self-value thing. People who value themselves 
therefore can value other people. So this will lead to your other thing with filling ourselves up. We cannot give what we don't have. Kind of like they say you can't get blood from a turnip and somebody tries to borrow money from somebody who does that money. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give love if you don't have it. You can't give validation if you don't have it. You can't help to mirror someone else's value if you don't have it yourself. You can't. And so it's so important to fill ourselves up. And my dear friend, Oprah, once again, she talks about this and she says, somebody said to her once, like, I think joking, but she said, oh, you're so full of yourself. And she says, darn right I am. I work hard at it too. You know, to keep myself full, to keep myself filled. And we were talking about, you know, racing around like gerbils on crack in this country because we do. And I love my country very much. We are just, we become human doings instead of human beings. And, and meanwhile, life is going by, right? This is not a dress rehearsal, last anyone checked. This is the big game, right? And we are so busy box checking, as you said, Linda. And do you want it to, do you want it to say on our memorial stone, never missed a day of work, box, checked every box? Heck no. I know for me, I want to go sliding in safe at home. She had a good ride, you know, empty margarita glass. like, And, and, and we just don't realize the value of our life minutes. And that we need, even if, you know, baby steps, if it's hard for you to, even if you carve out 15 minutes per day to sh- the world will spin without you and do something that makes your, your heart sing. I'm actually thinking of a funny thing I say to people and I'm really realizing you really are a dentist because even on a PowerPoint, I have sometimes when we're like a young mother or father in the, in whatever we're doing and we're in such a frenzy that it, we have to actually schedule doing something that's life-giving to us and rejuvenating as if we would schedule a dentist appointment. I say that anyone who's ever had an abscess tooth, as you definitely know, I actually say this and because when you, if you have an abscess tooth, even if you're a young mom or whatever, you're getting to the dentist and everybody fills in this because you can't, it's like pound, 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 and you have to get there. And so if we could prioritize taking up guitar for a half an hour a day, a walk in the woods, giving a mindful belly rub to a golden retriever, a hot bath with or time out with women friends or guy friends or whoever friends and coffee. Um, we often have to schedule that when we are not in a great habit place with self-care. We have to look at it like it's an abscess tooth, let the world spin and go have your bath. Yeah. So there's a level of self-discipline there. And there's also a level of letting go of limiting beliefs about what is time well spent. I think there's another element to that that I'd love for you to talk about is you hit you in one of the newsletters, you talk about keep good company. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, because this can rest with the whole house of cards. It's a house of cards. If you don't keep good company, if we did absolutely everything that you've talked about, and for that matter, all the the great people that, that we talk about on to the podcast every week that are blowing my mind, it all means nothing. If we don't keep good company. Talk to me about that. I actually just did a thing for who it's all blended. I just did a thing last night on this for a group. People don't realize this because they're so locked into obligation. Meanwhile, life minutes are circling the drain. Last anybody checked, unless you come back as an iguana. I mean, I don't know what people's beliefs are, but we don't, we're not sure of any of it. Right. So people often don't realize well, okay, I see on, the, on the extreme end, we have people in our lives we love and would do anything for. We can count on them and they're, they're our world. And then there's the middle and then there's the toxics. So right off the bat, I'll say the toxics, not just meaning a little challenging. And we're talking about, you know, 
poisonous people. They need to just be released and go with God or source or universe and goodbye. So now for the rest of everybody, I look at it like layers of an onion. So we've got our most important people, partners and kids and parents and, and maybe not parents because I've got a couple of toxic because you know the backstory, but our, our, our own family as we created it, let's say that, and friends are most important people that are we consider our, our everything. They are obviously the most worthy of our life minutes. And then there's a next layer, which might be a friends group. And there are small talk people and go out to lunch people and everything. And it gets out to here. So here's the thing where it comes to keeping good company because we only want to spend our valuable life minutes, which are obviously more valuable than cash, but that's the best visual we can come up with because we're not getting them back. We only want to spend our life minutes with people who give us a lift, who give us who, who give us joy and bring joy to our lives. If they don't bring joy to our lives, not saying they can't have a crabby moment, but in general, if they don't lift our spirit, Linda, and bring us joy, you know, then it's like, it's like an athletic team. Forget the toxics. They're on the bench. No, they're not even in the gym. They're outside. Okay. There's first string, second string, third string and bench. So you might have third string players that we're giving that they're starting and the basketball team. No, like, you know, if it's, let's say it's a fourth cousins, three times removed baby shower. And you're, you're having this fabulous time with a partner on the back deck spontaneously and, and just enjoying each or a best friend or, or you're by yourself having in a good book. And it's an exchange of energy, our life minutes, right? So do I want to give up this time on the back deck that I haven't had to myself in a month? Maybe there's been funerals or whoever, right? And now I've actually have time to decompress and rejuvenate. Do I want to drive an hour each way? It's not resting that they're bad people, but they're not as important to me to give up that kind of quality time. Now, if that's your niece who you're really close with, different story, right? But we need to really, now it goes into the boundary setting thing, spend our life minutes as if they're cash to have columns like you would a budget. We have to budget for life minutes, like a budget, just like you would spend $80 on that sweater. You cannot leave the store without because you'll be thinking about it versus throwing away $80 on a crappy sweater you don't care about. So we're not saying, again, not saying the people are crappy, but they're not your inner circle. So say no to stuff and, and spend your life minutes with the people you love, which includes you. Right. And, and because when we when we budget our life minutes, just like with money, we have a savings account. You know, we save we, we save our valuable life minutes. We are also then better able to give to to other people. And there's actually I'll just say quickly, because maybe if you've read it, my least favorite children's book. Actually, it's my only. Well, let's just say my least favorite children's book ever is The Giving Tree. And it's because it should be called codependency for kids because it's just, you know, it's about allowing ourselves. If you know the story of the, the boy and he turns into an older man and the tree is like a mother meant to be metaphorical for a, a mom, you know, it turns it, obviously mothers are ultra giving. That isn't the point. The point is that he kept taking, 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 taking until she eventually ends up as he's an old man and she's a stump and he sits on her. To me, that is not how I want to raise a daughter or a son for that matter. It's codependency for kids. And I thought I was the only one who felt that way until I went on to Google it for a self-care thing I did recently, like a month and a half ago. And I forget her name, but there's an author who wrote a whole like, like spinoff over saying what I'm saying. And um, I actually had a group of students once buy the book for me to be smarties and they rewrote it because this is not healthy giving. And it comes, it also comes down to Linda with the keeping good company. It comes down to mind full giving versus mind less giving. When we give authentically from our authentic selves, we are rejuvenated. 
when we are running around for external approval, like we, you know, we we're baking brownies for the PTO and we're the only one who's done it for the past five months. And like, I'm not saying don't do good things, but there's a difference between you're always the one who brings the extra three kids to little league. And, and that's really not about being a good person. We're not saying you aren't a good person, but that's not mindful giving that's codependent behavior, really. It's mindless giving. And when we know how we feel, if we feel rejuvenated because we sat up with our best friend in the world because our heart was cracking down the middle to three in the morning, that is mindful giving. Mindless giving, when we're people pleasing and rescuing all over the place, has us drained and depleted emotionally and spiritually. We end up spiritually, emotionally bankrupt. And they're not, they're very not much not the same. One's on, one is driven by authenticity fuel and one is ego driven and they're different. And if we, if we can see that we can choose our moments, what to spend our time on a lot better. Yes. And again, we're not, I'm not judging, please hear me because codependent behaviors come to a place of usually old stuff and wounds. And it's very common and it can also be healed with, you know, some commitment and attention. There's no judgment there because it's all so super common. But the first step, like you were saying, Linda, is, is, is the awareness piece. And we become aware of how to spend our life minutes by actively thinking about it, but also how we feel after we spend the time in that way. If we feel depleted, resentful that we spent our life minutes, like resentful over spending money on a sweater that then had a rip in two days and then we're pissed. You know, when we give up that beautiful Sunday afternoon to go do something and we drive all the way home, like, why did I do that? Then learn from it and, you know, spend more wisely, just like we would with money. I love that analogy. I just, that is a really, really good little key notion. Okay. So as we wrap up here, I want you to at least make some comments on something I know you like to talk about that I think is kind of quintessential from what we just talked about. Here it goes. Create a savoring lifestyle. Oh my God. That could be, I don't don't think people think about creating a savoring. I don't think we use the word savoring very often, but when I read that create a savoring lifestyle, I could sit longer in my mother-in-law's living room and listen to the same stories over and over again because I was savoring them. Yeah. Or I could eat some food, a local thing that I normally never get to eat. Oh, it was a funeral. And then at the Knights of Columbus, they're like the, the women in the organization make this incredible potluck after the funeral. Oh my God, I savored every single salad. So I like this notion of a savoring lifestyle. Let's go out on that. Oh my gosh. I Yeah, I just did one of those. This could be a whole other podcast, but just for quickly, savoring, you're right, Linda. Savor, savors is, is a word not used enough, in my opinion. So savoring is basically a merge of mindfulness and gratitude, which mindfulness is not just sitting so like a Zen monk, right? It's being present in the moment, non-judgmentally. That's huge. We're not judging ourselves. We're just in the moment. Our heart is filled with I am grateful for. And so savor kind of amps that up. So I think what I said in the recent uh, Minecraft YouTube was that if it's hard for you to savor food, like you're saying, it's a really good place to start because it involves like it involves a tangible in the senses. Right. So if you're if it's hard for you to take care of yourself, if you dive into like a salad like you had or hot chocolate or something really decadent, like a moose cake or something like that and really be be the cake for real you know be the cake and and i deserve the cake i am the cake i'm it also helps to close your eyes uh if it's a if it's a food thing because then we can if we shut off the visual 
we're really, really, really savoring. And I'll tell you one, one thing that I do in Minecraft, it's an activity with savoring, actually with food and also bringing, amping up the mindfulness thing is I walk in with like six bags of flavored popcorn, all different, you know, caramel and all different flavors. And I've got a, a, a bag of chopsticks and I come in and look at me like, what, where is she going with this? What is she doing? So we talk about all this stuff and I start passing them out. I give a brief tutorial because not everybody can use the chopsticks. And I explain how chopsticks slow your life down. And we talk about the texture, the salt. And each, they have different flavors, caramel and white cheddar, whatever. And I have them use the chopsticks to eat the popcorn with. So it's one delicious kernel at a time. And it goes in, you can close your eyes and feel the texture of the popcorn, taste the salt, the caramel, the white cheddar. And what this does for anyone who does have a difficult time taking care of themselves, where it's easier for you to take care of others than it is for you, this is like going into a resilience bank, also like a savings account. Because when we savor, we're taking, we're, we are, it opens the door for us to feel and experience our own value. We can actually feel alive in this moment, experiencing that. So for anybody who has a difficult time feeling worthy, savoring is a doorway or a gateway to, to, to really feeling and being in your own worth. Okay, let's wrap up on that notion, because if we all do nothing more than just savor, be too, totally present in moments and start savoring them, I think we can open all kinds of new pathways of possibility. So, Dr. Ben, share with us where people can continue on the path with you. Where can people get a hold of you? Uh, they can get a hold of well, at Champlain College, obviously. They could easily Google the Minecraft YouTube channel I me mean, for resources. They yeah, uh, just anything that people will want to connect with your work and go deeper. Okay, good. Well, there's mind. Remember, it's M I N D Craft. A YouTube Minecraft podcast is on Spotify and all the rest of those. And my email, if you want that, is K Quinn K Q U I N N at champlain.edu i have had people reach me after the seven days article and things like that and i i guess that said i would just leave you with three things as you know that like the ticket to a better you know uh, living your best self your most authentic life would be be mindful be grateful spend your life minutes like they are cash i love that concept i'm not sure i'm going to be able to unsee that <laughs> I am going to spend my life minutes like like cash. This is so so lovely. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Kimberly Quinn at Champlain College in Vermont for opening a bunch of doors and windows for us today. We're gonna have to have a second chat for sure. If you'd like to know anything about any of the people that uh, Kim and I mentioned, all the books and the thought leaders that we mentioned, it's all gonna be in the show notes. And remember to check out the Goodness Exchange. That is the landscape, the landscape where goodness and progress are going to come together and we can amplify that story about each other and humanity. I hope all the connections for goodness and progress that we've shared with you today will carry you through your week and you'll start finding all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Thanks for listening. Thank you for having me, Linda.